welcome back to another installment of New Books in Poetry's month-long celebration of the chapbook, Chapbookapalooza. I am your host, Jen Fitzgerald. Our guest today has offered a pretty stellar bio. Kenneth Pobo just turned 60. He grew up in Villa Park, Illinois, where Ovaltine used to be made. He has a new book coming out from Blue Light Press called Bend of Quiet, Poems About the Animal and Plant Worlds. His regrets are that he still can't play an instrument, that his singing voice isn't fab, and that winter comes and wrecks his garden until spring. Musically, he never left the 60s and does not believe the rumor that the Supremes broke up. His favorite singer is Tommy James of Crimson and Clover fame. He started writing at 15 song poems all about the brotherhood and flowers and hair. His favorite novel is Budden Brooks by Thomas Mann. He's here to discuss his new chapbook, When the Light Turns Green, Spruce Alley Press, 2014. Welcome, Ken. Thank you very much, Jen. I'm happy to be here. Let's start off this conversation with a poem. Would you please read the last on page 11? Yes, I would love to read that. I'm going to turn to it right this minute. The last. The last asters shone blue flashlights deep into November until the batteries died. When I cut the stalks down, emptiness. Except for Farfugiums looking a 22-degree night right in the eye. Stems lean over the pot's edge, yet given a touch of sun, they raise up, night a bad dream. I think maybe they'll make Christmas. It's never happened before, green pads flat on dirt, stems gone thin as shoestrings. I fail at letting go, check for any green refusal to surrender. Back inside, I curse winter, miss a painting made of frost, just hung on the window. Thank you. Um, I wanted to use this piece to talk about process and about where your poems come from. Could you give us an idea? Well, that poem in particular uh, comes directly right out of our garden. I, I'm a gardener, and I, that means for me four seasons, not just, uh, mm-hmm. not just spring and summer. Uh, I, I like plants all year round. And one of the more difficult times of the year for me, though, is saying goodbye to so many of the plants as autumn turns into winter. And mm-hmm. one of the last plants to go is the aster. They usually bloom in the fall anyways, but by the time winter comes, even they can't hold up anymore. And it helps me to think not just about the garden, but other people that you have in your life that you've lost. And the last time, perhaps, that you've seen that person or communicated with that person. So for me, it's not just about November and the loss of plants in the garden, but maybe the wider kind of issue of loss of uh, people that are close to us or loss of things that uh, sustain us. Uh, and sustaining things that we need, and suddenly we don't have them to count on anymore. Mm. Um, That's beautiful. So I'd like to get an idea because of the first image, um, the asters in your garden, do you have, um, uh, is there a large section devoted to them? What, What does that look like in the scope of your garden? Well, 
actually I use asters to some extent to replace things that in the summer have had their time and their annuals and they go. And so asters are perfect for, you know, putting in in places where you have holes in the garden. However, they're also perennial, meaning that they come back uh, each year. And there are places in all over the garden, not just in one little spot where I see asters. And I guess my favorite color of aster is either the blue or kind of blue going into purple. And I've got a... I'm thinking in this poem, the asters that I'm referring to are right by the sidewalk that we have that leads to our driveway. And it's kind of like right now I look at them and they're cheerful and nice, but I realize within another couple months that cheerful blue won't be there anymore. Well, that's depressing. Um, it is, but you know that there is spring. They, they will come back. <laughs> uh, well, you definitely pay a lot of attention to um, beauty and, and the visuals and aesthetics. And throughout the chapbook, there are um, paintings, I believe. Is this prints or paintings? Can you speak a little bit about the art that, that's throughout? Uh, the editor of the book is James Esch. He's somebody that I work with at Widener, which is the school I teach at. Mm -hmm. And his wife is Stacy Esch. And over the years, I, I'm friends with them both, but over the years, I've learned that Stacy is quite an incredible artist. And she's done work on other chapbooks that I've done in the past, and, and I really like what she does. And with the kind of issues and uh, there's a lot of, I guess, nature-oriented imagery in this particular book. Mm -hmm. And Stacy's own artwork often reflects that kind of thing. I, I think of her as kind of like a modern-day Odilon Redon, who was a wonderful uh, French painter in the late 19th century. And that kind of vision seemed to correlate really well with the kind of thing that was going on in the verbal part of the book, the, the poetry part. And I like to think that there's a synergy between what Stacy's artwork is and my own uh, poetry. Oh, there absolutely is. They, they work um, in tandem, certainly. So let's hear another poem. Could you read Suitcase on page 38? That I can do. Let me turn right to it. Oh, this one this is a sad one for me. It's uh, about my grandfather. Mm -hmm. Suitcase. Roy didn't feel death knocking him over. Funny what stays in your head. Like a game he made with chalk circles on the driveway and round rubber discs that I'd toss. Loss was no stranger. His son killed in World War II, his wife dead on an operating table when he was 58. I'm 59 now. My dad and I play ping pong on Sunday mornings. We drink Sprite after the games. He asks me to take Roy's old suitcase out to the dumpster. He was never going to use the mildewy thing. I hoist the suitcase with RAS on the top into the mess. Roy, August, Swanson. Sooner or later, everything is departure. The hand lets go, wind fills it. Thank you. Um, yeah, it's, it's the last few lines of this poem. Um, I, I really enjoy poems that um, create maybe an image or a narrative, and they bring you into a world, but they don't show you until the very end why you're in that world, and I think that that's what this poem does. And it also speaks to what you were referring to about um, the gardens also being um, representative of people that you may have lost. So, it does kind of fit in with the other poem <laughs> in terms of, you know, loss and uh, suddenly something that was there is not there as well. 
poems sometimes come to me uh, based on surprise. Mm-hmm. And uh, when I went over to play ping pong with my uh, dad, my dad's 88 now. Uh, he's still good, by the way. I might <laughs> add that. I'm very proud of that. Sometimes he can still beat me, believe it or not. Um, but I was over there on a Sunday morning when we play, and he just said, oh, I've got something I, I want you to do if you could do it for me. And we went into the cage in his uh, retirement community where he stores a bunch of stuff. And, you know, there was my grandfather's suitcase. And he said, well, I'm not going to ever use it. Do you want it? And I really didn't. It, it wasn't in good shape. But to get rid of it, it's like that's one of the last images of when I think of my grandfather. Now we're getting rid of one of the last few possessions, even though it's been decades since the man passed away. And there was something very strange about, you know, tossing it into a dumpster, yeah. which is so impersonal. Mm-hmm. And I was close with my grandfather, and, and to kind of do that, uh, I hadn't expected the torrent of emotions that were going to follow in, in its wake. Yeah, I, I couldn't imagine. I mean, I'm just having the image of the, the suitcase in the dumpster, and it's making me upset. <laughs> <laughs> it's Even reading the poem kind of does bring it back. <laughs> yeah. um, well, for the final poem, I, I think I had tried to set this up in a, a you know a transitioning way where it moves back into maybe a little bit of hope. So for the final poem, um, could you read Things Give Way on page 22? Sure can. Yeah, this is a, that's a nice one to end on. <laughs> Things do give way, even, even sadness sometimes. Things give way. A heavy rain can't melt every snow pile. Spring will bring a big blowtorch, make way for the first crocuses, a strange red hyacinth among the dozen that should be all purple. I should be purple, holding my breath until all the snow is gone. I look out of windows, water expectations. The more I want life to hurry up, the closer death comes. Snow, invincible today. The sun is out. Icicles drop off the gutter. Flakes feel a nervous warmth. Huddle against a pine. Thank you. Um, so obviously seasons are prevalent, and um, I know that as somebody who works closely with the earth, and I'm imagining that you live in uh, somewhere where there's four seasons. Um, <laughs> South, southeastern Pennsylvania. <laughs> yeah, definitely four seasons there. Um, and then you're also talking about life and the seasons of life. I just, you know, there's a big sense of change and transition throughout all of these. And I know that you're using the garden as a much larger metaphor, but is it only just for the transitioning of, of people out of your life? Is there an awareness of the speaker maybe of their own seasons? Oh, very much so. Um, when I think about this poem in particular, the speaker says, I look out of windows, water expectations, you know, isn't that to kind of survive? We, we have to water some expectations and hope that things will grow. And I don't think then it's just about, you know, the oncoming of death, but all sorts of places in life where we're at one place and we may feel stopped or we may feel we don't know what the next part of the road is going to be. But there will come that time where, you know, the flakes are going to melt and they may huddle together, but the next season will come. It's almost like, I, I, if I dare say so, it's almost like an act of faith mm-hmm. that, you know, one day will one day replace the next and things will give way. Something will break free uh, and break out and allow possibilities to happen. Mm. 
I love that. And, you know, Ken, you and I have managed to put life, death, and rebirth into a 12-minute uh, podcast. I say that that's an accomplishment. <laughs> that's pretty good for 12 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> so um, thank you so much for speaking with us today. I really appreciate this, Jen, and I appreciate your questions and your kindness in terms of the poems you chose and the questions that you raised. Oh, thank you. Um, this is Jen Fitzgerald with New Books and Poetry, reminding you to support all the arts, but especially poetry. 